0: mission for this church and for Chafer Seminary. Uh, what a great song that was, God's grace, and it's something we all need. As you all know, we are sinners, but by his grace, we are pardoned, we are redeemed, we are justified when we trust in Jesus Christ. So uh, let's, uh, before we begin, I'll give you all a few moments to take it before the throne of grace. If you have any unconfessed sin, Uh, Now's the time. We want to be clean and uh, restore fellowship with God when we come before Him and and hear the Word taught, so we can accept it and understand it. Then, so I'll give you a few moments of silent prayer, and then I'll open in prayer. Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly Father, we are here this evening to worship you through the study of your Word. We love you, Father, and we thank you and praise you for who you are and what you've done for us, redeeming us, preparing from eternity past a plan of salvation where we could come to Christ and be born again, born into the family of God, to uh, to serve you in righteousness and holiness with our sin, a thing of the past. Help us, Father, to remember these things. Father, as we look forward to tonight's study, uh, help us learn the lessons that Joshua uh, provided through his life and through the sons of Israel as they uh, entered the land, the land that you had promised to give to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Father, we ask your blessing upon our time this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so it's great to be back to continue our study on the book of Joshua. Uh, for those of you who haven't been here in the last four years or so since I started, <laughs> uh, here we are again. Um, it, it's always great to teach uh, something that, that I enjoy, and when I look at Joshua's life, you know, we, we sometimes forget, but he was, he was just a man like any of us, Not, nothing special, but God trained him. He was Moses' uh, right-hand man during the uh, exodus. And uh, when the time came, uh, God raised him up. And that's a great lesson for us. God has plans for us in our lives, things that he wants us to do. And he's not just going to throw us in there at the end, but he's going to prepare us for those challenges that we have ahead. So keep that in mind as, you, uh, do, as we go through this study of, uh, of Joshua. We're looking for an explanation of what what happened. What did Joshua do? Well, he was called by God, as we saw in the first five chapters, it's really Joshua's uh, succession of Moses and crossing into the Jordan, over the Jordan, into the promised land. We saw that's the first section of the book, uh, chapters 1 through 5. Chapters 6 through, I believe it's 12, is... uh, is the conquest of the land. There were natives in the land that God was bringing judgment upon, the Canaanites and other peoples, and so they had to be subdued, and that, we've already passed that. We've gone through that. That was in chapter 6 through 12. And then after that was completed, basically completed, they didn't destroy all the cities of the Canaanites, but they uh, took out the strongholds, and then it was going to be up to the individual tribes to... Uh, complete the job in their territories that they were allotted. And this is called uh, the, the third section of the book, The Division of the Land, in chapters 13 through 21. Uh, we're completing that study tonight with chapter 21. But, uh, and then the fourth section is Joshua's charge to the nation, chapters 22 through 24. So here we are tonight. Chapters 13 through 21 is a section, The Division of the Land, and we're completing that tonight. So the division of the promised land, and, and what we're going to look at tonight is, basically we're going to look at two chapters. Because I think the last time I was here, we, did, we completed the tribal allotments, and I started into the, the cities of refuge that God had promised and, and required them to uh, set up. And that's only that's the short chapter, shortest one in the book. Chapter 20, verses 1. It's only nine verses. But that's the city of refuge. We'll get into that one more time because I think I started it but didn't finish. And then we'll look at chapter 21, Cities for the Levites. And that's chapters 21, verses 1 through 45. So as you probably remember, uh, the conquest of the land took, took several years. And why was that? Well, Exodus 29, or 23, 29 through 30 tells us. God said to to the children of Israel, I will not drive them out before you in a single year, that the land may not become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. I will drive them out before you little by little until you become fruitful and take possession of the land. Okay, so God had a purpose. It wasn't going to happen all at once. He was going to do it little by little. And and when you remember that... uh, even 400 years later, David, as a, as a young man, is guarding his father's flock from lions and bears. So if that had been allowed to overtake the entire land, uh, it, there wouldn't have been much of a, of a nation for Israel to, uh, to, to occupy. So here's a, a map of the land as it's been divided up into the various tribes. I hope everyone can see that. It's pretty small, but... Uh, All the different colored areas represent different tribal uh, clans. And so that's how it looked after uh, the completion of the uh, conquest. So here's the outline for chapter 20, City of Refuge. The Lord commands Joshua, verses 1 through 6. The Lord speaks to Joshua in verse 1. Uh, There's provisions for the manslayer, someone who uh, kills another man or another person uh, without malice, not murder, accidental. Those provisions are for the manslayer in verses 2 through 3. Verses 4 through 6, we see instructions for the manslayer. If that happens, if they accidentally kill someone, what were they to do? And then we have uh, the cities west of the Jordan that are identified to be the cities of refuge. And then that's verse 7, verse 8 is the cities on the east side of the Jordan. Remember the land is split in half by the Jordan River. And so the cities on the there's got to be cities on both sides. That's verse 8. And there's a summary in verse 9. Now I came across this quotation here. The cities of refuge seem to typify Christ to whom sinners, pursued by the avenging law, which decrees judgment and death, may flee for refuge. This is from Donald Campbell, he, uh, and this was out of the uh, Bible Knowledge Commentary. And I think that's very, very apt, that because back in those days, there was no police force. Everyone was, uh, their families dispensed the justice in accordance with the Mosaic Law. But being sinful creatures, there could be emotions, passions that would deny justice to somebody who was innocent of murder. And uh, so God planned for that and put in, put in uh, the cities of refuge for the nation. Verse, verse uh, 1 and 2 of Joshua chapter 20 begins, And the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, Give to you, you all cities of refuge, which I spoke to you all by the hand of Moses. Now this is, I'm translating this myself. Uh, it's it's, it's going to be rough. It's going to be crude. But you can follow along in your, in your Bibles. But this is, a, I'm trying to get a word-for-word word, uh, translation of the Hebrew. And so God speaks to Joshua, even though the land had been taken, and distributed among the tribes, there were still things to be settled. And this was one issue that needed to be uh, dealt with. These cities of refuge that they were going to be uh, brought out. And the, so they were going to set out six cities of refuge. And God had delegated, uh, because God had delegated capital punishment to man after the flood, because there were going to be instances where it was necessary, God wants them to do it right. He doesn't want vengeance, vengeance to overtake uh, justice in the dispensing of law and that's still applicable today verse 20 verse 3 we read that he may flee there the manslayer killing a living being by accident without knowledge to all yours to your all's refuge from the redeemer or avenger of blood now the lord assumes innocence of this person that, that would flee to the city. And that would be determined by the uh, elders of the city he fled to. But for this, uh, it, when he's charging Joshua to, to designate cities, uh, he's assuming that the manslayer is not a murderer. So I highlighted in, in red the, that first one on the, well, that's the word manslayer. And that's the one. Who, so that's the manslayer. It's, it's, it's a, it's a cow participle, masculine singular, and it means to kill or to murder. And the participle a, makes it a noun, a verbal noun. Uh, the next word, nefesh we all know that one. That's the Hebrew word for living being used in Genesis that God breathed into the nostrils of man and he became a living being. And then the last one is another word we may be familiar with. Goel. And Goel is the redeemer, avenger of blood. Now in in the book of Ruth, Boaz is called the Goel. But uh, in this case, we're not talking about somebody who's going to be fathering children. This is something more serious. But this is God's provision for the manslayer that they would flee to the city. Verse 4, continuing the instructions. He will flee to one of these cities and stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and state in the hearing of the elders of that city his case. And they shall take him into the city to them and give him a place and he shall dwell among them. Now this was important. They, they couldn't just reject him out of hand. They, if he uh, sought asylum or sought safety in the city, they had to take him in and then what they would do is they would uh, hold him there until a trial could be arranged, till witnesses could be brought in, and the elders could question the witnesses and the defendant, and then the truth would be determined as best they could. Now, it's not a perfect system. Uh, no system of man is. When it's dispensed by men, we have fault, faults and, and we err, but uh, that, was the, that was the pattern that they were to hold, uphold. Okay, so verse 5 says, and if he pursues him, the avenger of blood, so if the family or relative of the man who was killed goes after him, they shall not deliver the manslayer into his hands as they, the elders of the city, because without knowledge he struck his neighbor and was not hating him beforehand. And I highlighted that word beforehand because it's really an unusual word in the Hebrew. It's it really translates as three days, but uh, it could also be the day before yesterday or even yesterday. And the idea was that he didn't have any malice before the act was committed. I mean, and that was basically the, uh, the, the most important part of not charging him with murder was that he had nothing against the, the person who was killed. And so that was all be, would be determined by the city elders, and then uh, they would render a judgment. Verse 6, he will dwell, as is the one accused, in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment until the death of the high priest in those days. Then he shall return, the manslayer, and go into his city and to his house, to the city from which he fled from. So the manslayer, if he was found innocent, still had to be in the city, uh, the, the city of refuge, Otherwise, he could still passions and memories don't fade away quickly, so he could still be you know, uh, harmed if he left the city. but once the high priest uh, the acting high priest uh, passed away, then he was free to leave and return to his home and it's not really a good reason how this came about. I, I tried to f- research what uh, what that was. Why it was done this way, but uh, never really came up with anything. But these are the instructions God uh, set forth, and so uh, I assume it would be a a lengthy period of time that the high priest didn't uh, pass away very frequently. So he had to be uh, basically house arrest. Would be a good term for our modern day vernacular. Verse, verse seven. So here's the cities they set apart. Kedesh in Galilee, in the hill country of Naphtali. Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim. Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. So as I think I said last time, there's a kind of a word play, I think, in the Hebrew. Because Kedesh is also the same. There's a verb, kadesh, which means to set apart. And that's what they were doing. They were setting apart these c- cities, specifically to take in these uh, people accused of uh, of accidentally killing someone. Now Hebron, it would make sense, as we studied before, that that would be a city of refuge because that's where uh, Caleb was was granted to live. He was possessing that city uh, for his faithful service to God uh, as one of the twelve spies that uh, one of the two that only only two that. Uh, Along with Joshua, that uh, wanted to go in and take the, the land before uh, the wandering in the desert. So that was makes sense that uh, that uh, Hebron would be one of those cities. Now those are the cities on the west side of the Jordan, and we'll look at that again in a minute. Verse eight shows the ones on the east side, on the other side, on beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho. They gave Bezer in the wilderness, on the plain from the tribe of Reuben, and Ramoth in Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan in in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. These were all on the east side. So God provided three cities of refuge on the east, three on the west. Uh, Any any one of these cities could be easily reached from uh, anywhere in Israel, anywhere in the land. And according to the Bible Knowledge Commentary, Uh, Jewish tradition says that the roads to those cities were well maintained. They wanted to make sure that if somebody needed to get there, they were able to get there, and they included even signage saying uh, refuge. Interesting that they took it seriously. Okay, so just to point them out, that's Kadesh up there. Coming down south is Shechem, Shechem's a very uh, prominent city in the Old Testament. And there's Hebron. And then going across the Jordan is Bezer. And going north, Ramoth-Gilead, and then Golan. So when you look at this, it's, it goes north to south, uh, the way it's presented, across the Jordan, and then south to north. And it kind of makes the circle so that you could think of it as a, a perimeter of safety if you were accused of killing someone accidentally. Okay, so then we get verse 9 as the final verse summary of, of these cities. These were the cities appointed to all the sons of Israel and to the stranger who sojourns among them to flee there, all who kill a soul by accident and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood. Until he stands before the congregation. So I think it's important to remember that these refuge, cities of refuge uh, applied to the Jew and the Gentile. There was no distinction made that Gentiles couldn't, couldn't flee there. No, they, they could, and justice would be uh, given to them as, as with the Jews. So the cities were for both Jews and Gentiles. Another demonstration of God's mercy and His grace. Uh, to not just his people, but to all the people. So that concludes chapter 20, the cities of refuge. Uh, and if anybody has any questions on that, please see me afterwards. I'd love to talk about that. Uh, but we'll move on to chapter 21. These are the cities for the Levites. And we'll do an outline First, there's only three sections in chapter, uh, chapter 21. First is the request made by the Levites, verses 1 through 2. The bulk of the, of the chapter is section 2, Israel obeys and gives the cities, verses 3 to 42. And then they do that by casting of lots, verses 3 through 8. Then there's the cities are given to the priests the sons of Aaron, verses 9 through 19. Then we have the cities for the Kohathites. And let me just break that and say right now, uh, we're going to see that in a little bit, but Levi had three sons, Kohath, Gershon, and Merari. And so there were three clans of the Levites. And so he's, they're going to be dispensed to these cities based on that. So the cities for the Kohathites, the rest of the Kohathites, because Aaron's was a descendant of Kohath, but uh, the rest of them in verses twenty through six, uh, cities for the Gershonites in verses twenty-seven to thirty-three, and cities for the Merarites in thirty-four through forty-two. And then the the third section of the of the chapter is uh, just that God fulfills His promises, and we know that He does. He's fulfilled His promises, and He's going to. We're, we're going to hear about it, verses thirty-three through 45, 43 through forty-five. Okay. So now let's ask the question, who are the Levites? Why are they getting special treatment? Why didn't they get territory like the other tribes? Well, if you don't know, well, have got a short little biography. Oops. Well, I was going to try to do this one at a time. But Levi was the third son born to Jacob. Okay, We, we read that it was Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, in that order. Levi joined with Simeon to murder the men of Shechem. And you can see that and read about that in Genesis chapter 34. Uh, Levi had three sons, as I mentioned, Gershon, Kohath, Merari. We read that in Exodus chapter 6, verse 16. Exodus 6, 16. All the Levites rallied to obey Moses during the golden calf idolatry incident. We all remember that you read your Bibles, you know that uh, Moses went up the mountain and the people didn't stay faithful to God during that time he was gone. When he came down, they had already fashioned a golden calf. In fact, Aaron, uh, his brother was the one who who made it. And uh, Moses stands up and says, everyone on the side of the Lord rally to me. And the Levites quickly did that. They did so, among others. But the Levites rallied to him. And so that's one of the reasons I think God gives them special privileges. So God gives the Levites a special blessing for their service. You know, they were the ones who were going to uh, take over service of the, the tabernacle and then later on the temple. And then in the New Testament, we read many Levitical priests accepted Christ as their Messiah in the early church. We read that in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. So that's a, just a brief, quick uh, biography of the Levites they were zealous as obviously with Simeon uh, the, the Simeon and uh, Shechem incident and then rallying to, uh, behind Moses during the golden calf uh, episode so they had zeal for God and uh, God uh, blessed them for that alright so let's get into chapter 21 verse 1 we read Oops. Then they approached the head of households of the Levites to Eleazar, the priest. He was a high priest. He's Aaron's son. He, uh, Aaron had passed away, and so Eleazar took over. And to Joshua, the son of Nun, and to the heads of households of the tribes of the sons of Israel. So the uh, the Levites, all the other tribes had gotten their, their land apportioned, and now uh, it's their turn. And so they remind... Uh, those in charge, which was Eliezer, the high priest, Joshua, the commander of the of the army, and all the heads of house. So he includes all the leaders of the tribes, not just one or two, but all of the leaders of the tribes. They, they approached them uh, together. And so uh, we read... Uh, And they spoke to them at Shiloh, Shiloh was where the tabernacle had been set up, in the land of Canaan to say, the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses to give to us cities to live in, with their pasture lands for our cattle. So uh, they want to get what, what God had promised them through Moses. Now, does anybody recognize that word translated cattle? Right there. It's got a preposition in the front, and then a First person plural, pronominal suffix. That's the Hebrew word behemoth, translated in English as behemoth, and it's used as cattle in in the Old Testament. But that's not how God uses it in talking with Job. When you read uh, God talking to Job and in mentioning behemoth to him, he's not describing a cow, but just I thought that was interesting. He's not distra- describing a cow there. So, but that's something you guys can look at yourself. But that's what, what they, they come to the, the leaders and they say, they, Moses commanded you to do this. Verse 3. Oops, going too fast. Then they gave the sons of Israel to the Levites from their inheritance, according to the command of the Lord, these cities with their pasture lands. So the Israelites obey. They obey, and that's, that's great. Uh, they didn't always obey, and just like us, sometimes we don't obey. But in this instance, they obeyed and gave the cities. Verse 4, Then came out the lot, and they were going to do it by lot, so here we read about it. They came out the lot for the Kohathites, and they received the sons of Aaron the priest from the Levites, from the tribe of Judah, and from the tribe of the Simeonites, and from the tribe of Benjamin, by lot they received 13 cities. All right, so, just as the 12 tribes and the territory they were received was done by lot, they hold, hold the same pattern. The cities for the Levites were going to be dispensed by lot. Now, the reason for that is that God has a, has a plan, he has a, a purpose, and he's the one that dispenses these Cities and the land and the territories to which group, uh, you know, when, when we looked at the division of the land for the tribes, there would be one tribe would come up, they would pick that tribe by lot, and then the parcels of land they picked the picked the the parcel of land, and that's they were matched up, and that was it. All right, so the first group that uh, came out was was the priests, the descendants of Aaron, up from the they were coathites, but they were separated because Aaron was called to be the high priest and his descendants were going to be the priests for the temple and the tabernacle service. So they, uh, they received their cities first. And we'll look at those cities uh, in a little bit. Verse 5, To the sons of Koath remaining, now the rest of the Koathites, they received from the families of the tribe of Ephraim, from the tribe of Dan, and from the half-tribe of Manasseh By Lot, 10 cities. So the rest of the Kohathites receive their cities next. They get 10 cities. And notice that the cities that they receive are different from the ones, the territory that the priests received. And that's by God's design. So they get 10 cities. Verse 6 The sons of Gershon received from the families of the tribe of Issachar, and from the tribe of Asher, and from the tribe of Naphtali. And from the half-tribe of Manasseh in Bashan. By lot, 13 cities. Now that half-tribe of Manasseh was on the east side of the Jordan. The clan of Gershon was next, so they, got, they were the third, third uh, group. They received 13 cities, just like the Aaronites were the priests. Verse 7. To the sons of Merari, according to their families... Received from the tribe of Reuben, from the tribe of Gad, and from the tribe of Zebulun, 12 cities. So finally, the clan of Merari, they received their 12 cities, eight of which are located on the east side of the Jordan, only four on the west side in the land of Canaan. But, you know, again, it's God's design. It's his his dispense of the the cities, where they were going to go, where the Levites were going to end up. And they had to have some on the east side, The uh, territory on the east side was very large, too. Verse 8. And they gave the sons of Israel to the Levites, these cities with their pasture lands, as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses by Lot. So once again, we read that Israel obeyed God in dispensing the cities for their brothers, the Levites. So here's the cities from the Aaronites, to the Aaronites the priests, from Judah. And you you can read them. We're not going to go through each of these, uh, all the verses listed in all the cities, but I'm just going to show them here. And anyone have an idea why we have Hebron, Kiriath Arba, the older name, why that's in bold? It's because it was one of the cities of refuge. It's one of the cities of refuge. So, and that brings out a point. All the cities of refuge were under the jurisdiction of the, of the Levites. Which makes sense because they were the ones who were going to be charged with teaching their, their brothers, the Israelites, the law that Moses received on Mount Sinai. So it makes sense that they would have, be the wise ones to dispense justice in case somebody uh, ran and, and went to one of the cities of refuge for protection. Okay, so these cities that are, are, are given to Aaron and his sons, the sons of Aaron, uh, you can, if you want to get more detail, you can go look at verses 13 through 18 in chapter 21. But there's also more than that, not just from Judah. They had four from Benjamin. And there's Gibeon you may have heard of, Anatoth, Those are ones that uh, I think are brought out in the, in the conquest so that's the allotment to the Aaronites. And in verse 19, we read, All the cities of the sons of Aaron the priest were 13 cities with their pasture lands. And this is going to be a recurring um, statement with their pasture lands because the Levites had had cattle, had had flocks to uh, to uh, be concerned with. So they had to feed their, their flocks and their herds. So they were... Required the pasture lands. Okay. Next, we have cities of the remainder of the Kohathites. And we read from the tribe of Ephraim, Beth Horon, Gezer, Kibzaim, Shechem, another city of refuge. From Dan, Ajalon. that was a, a big battle. Was, was took place there. Eltica, Gath Ramon, from the tribe of Manasseh on the west side, also Gath and Tanakh. Now kind of weird that we have two cities called Gath Ramon, one that was in the tribe of Manasseh, one in Dan. But that's not really uncommon. I mean I looked up that there's another city called Preston in another state, Preston, Maryland. So it's not totally uncommon that two cities would have the same name. They're not the same city, obviously, because they're in different territories. But a lot of people who want to criticize the Bible as being accurate may bring that up. They said it twice, but no, they're two different cities. God, doesn't, God knows what he's doing. So these are the cities that are listed in verses 20 through 25. And then in, chapter, in verse 26... Again, we read, all the cities ten with their pasture lands were for the families of the rest of the sons of Koath. All right, so now we got to the Gershonites. This is the second clan from Levi. From the east, from, or on the east side of the Jordan, the, from the tribe of Manasseh, two cities, including Golan, which is one of the cities of refuge, also from Issachar, they had uh, four more, and then from Asher, another four. Followed by three more from Naphtali, including Kadesh in Galilee, which was really northern part of the of the of the nation. So they got again. What's that? Six, ten, thirteen cities they got and two of the cities of refuge. So one on the east side, one on the, one on the uh, west side of the Jordan. And then uh, you can find more detail on those cities exactly in verses 27 to 32. And in verse 33, once again, all the cities of the Gershonites according to their families were 13 cities with their pasture lands. Okay, so that brings us to cities for the final clan, the Merorites. They had uh, cities from Zebulun, four. Four from Reuben, including Bezer, one of the cities of refuge, and four from Gad including Ramoth-Gilead. That's uh, another city that is popular in the in the Old Testament. So they again, they have two uh, cities of refuge. So when you look at the breakdown of the six cities of refuge, each clan got two. Each clan of, of Levi, the tribe, got two of the cities of refuge. And so there's parity. There would not be uh, division caused by hey they got more than we did that kind of thing, they were they were evenly divided, which is another testimony to God's grace. So the cities given to the clan of Merari, there, those are listed in more detail in verses thirty four through thirty nine, and then in verse forty, we read all the cities of the sons of Merari according to their families the rest of the families of the Levites, and their lot was 12 cities. So each clan had received two of the cities of refuge in addition to the other cities that they were granted. Verse 41, we get kind of a summary. All the cities of the Levites in the midst of the possession of the sons of Israel were 48. So you have 48 cities with their pasture lands. 13 for the priests... 10 for the rest of the Kohathites, 13 for the Gershonites, and 12 for the uh, Marari, the clan of Marari. Okay, so that kind of sums up where they were. Let's, uh, if I can get uh, the map up here, but we'll get that at the end. All right, so the Bible repeats the, that phrase. Again, here in verse 42, these cities each had its surrounding pasture lands, and thus it was with all these cities. So if God's repeating this over and over, it must be a reason. And so I was thinking about this, and the best reason I, I can come up with is that they, they were, uh, needed these animals to fulfill all the sacrifices required by the law. They had to have animals because there was a lot of yeah you could bring your own animals to to the uh to the temple or the tabernacle but that means taking if you lived way up north or down south that's a long trip to drive an animal with carrying an animal with you so they could they could purchase one from uh the priests but also the, the sacrifices had to be for, uh, for worship of the Lord. I mean, that's that's why they were doing it, to cover their sin until the Messiah would come. All right, verse 43, we kind of get the uh, more of a summary. And he gave the Lord to Israel all the land that he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession, and they lived in it. What a great testimony. The Lord f- completed all that he had told them and uh, had promised them. And, and this is what the book of Joshua uh, as a whole is, is set out to do, that God had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that they would have a land. And uh, this, they were, first they were going to serve the Egyptians 400 years, and then uh, God was going to lead them out. He did that. Yes, they rebelled, and uh, they had to uh, postpone entry into the land to the the next generation because that first generation uh, didn't uh, go into the land like they were commanded to. They gave a bad report, ten of the spies, and so it was the second generation that took over uh, the conquest part of of the land, and the and and that's that's a great uh, lesson for us that we we don't always obey, and and even though we may stumble, we may fall, we may uh, sin in our in our uh, in our lives and in our mission, uh, God is still patient and still fulfills His promises, and that's a, that's a great comfort for all of us that you know He has promised us as believers in Christ many things, and Pastor Dave is going over many of the blessings we receive on second hour on Sundays, but, uh, you know, comfort yourselves in this fact that God is a God who keeps his promises. Okay, verse 44. And he gave the Lord to them rest on every side according to all that he has sworn to their fathers, and no man stood before them of all their enemies. All their enemies he gave the Lord into their hand. So God is not just blessing them with with the land, but he's giving them rest or peace on every side from their enemies. They don't have to worry about other nations coming down and and destroying them or killing them or taking the land away from them because God has given them rest. They can set about to establish themselves in the land, which is what he had promised uh, as we read that quote from uh, earlier about uh, not driving them out all at once. God had a plan to let them settle in the land and then slowly he would drive them out if they were faithful. Now we know, looking back in history, they weren't faithful. They didn't, the tribes didn't completely eradicate the inhabitants of the land and so they succumbed to the idolatry of the nations that were within their midst. And that's a le- another lesson for us that we can uh, consider when we are faced with challenges in our spiritual lives, that there's always temptations, there's always false doctrine and uh, things that will distract us from serving God and from loving God. And don't be like the Israelites that, uh, that did that, but trust the Lord. Keep your faith, strengthen your faith, talk to God, and serve Him only. Okay, and then verse 45 is really the conclusion. Not one failed of all the good promises that he spoke, the Lord, to the sons of Israel. All came in. <laughs> now your your Bible probably says all came to pass, and uh, that, that's probably a good translation. I like the Hebrew word here, bow. It's a word, it's a verb that means to come in or to enter. And so by I translate it that way. All his promises came in, like if you were, uh, I'm not a gambler, but if you had a horse on a, on a racetrack and you had money on it, he came in, right? So you, you won. But in this case, you know, all of God's promises didn't fail. He, he promised to bring them into the land. He promised to drive out the nations. And he was doing that and did that. And uh, so what can we conclude from this part? This third, completing the third section of Joshua, what, what, what can we learn? Well, we can learn, one, God is faithful. He keeps his promises. You know, he kept, it, kept them to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so he's going to keep his promises to us who have trusted in Christ for our salvation. Second thing, God is good. God is good. He gave them rest after they had completed the conquest. He gave them rest, so no, no, none of the uh, nations surrounding them, the Edomites, the uh, Moabites, the Ammonites, weren't, weren't going to deal, deal with them or attack them. God gave them rest from the, all the surrounding nations and that's, that had to be a great comfort for them to know, to know that they could go about their daily lives like us. we don't have to worry about being attacked for hundreds of, since this was established, we don't have to really worry about an invasion. So it's a comfort that we can do, live our lives, we can serve God. And I'm sure that's how they felt about it as well. Third thing we can learn is that God is compassionate. God is compassionate. He gave them cities of refuge to protect the innocent. And that's just one demonstration, given the cities of refuge. I mean, God does so many things to demonstrate his compassion for us. Each and every day, I mean our our lives would be nothing without God's blessing and protection and compassion on us because we sin, we fail repeatedly day after day so uh, but God is compassionate and I, I hope we all understand that and trust that God will be compassionate when we cry out to him because how many times in the Bible do we read of someone who was in dire straits, that cried out to God, and he heard, he answered. Because God is compassionate, he's good, he's faithful. We also can learn that God blesses those who love him and are righteously zealous for him. And I say that righteously zealous, because if you remember, Saul of Tarsus was zealous for God. But as he uh, acknowledged, he was zealous without knowledge. He didn't know God. He thought he he was doing what what God wanted, persecuting Christians, the early church. And so it wasn't until he met Christ himself on the road to Damascus that Paul realized the error he had been living under uh, persecuting God's Messiah and those who believed in him. And those are just a few things. I'm sure the more we meditate on on, on the book of Joshua, what he did in leading the nation, uh, there's so many more lessons to learn. Uh, it's just a great book. Uh, Joshua, as I mentioned, you know, he, God raised him up to do a job and prepared him years ahead of time to step up when, when he was called on, and he did that. And that's what we should be thinking in our lives. What is God training me for? Why am I here? What am I doing? How can I serve God? These are, these are questions we should always be asking ourselves because he has a plan. He loves us. He wants the best for us, and he's training us. Now, we may not realize what he's training us for or when uh, we're going to be needed, but prepare yourselves. Uh, the, Apostle, the Apostle Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to those who ask you for the hope that is in you, and that's one great way to uh, share Christ with those who don't know him. Okay, so that's, that is uh, the cities of refuge, the cities given to the Levites. Uh, anyone has questions about those uh, or anything in, in those two chapters, please see me. I'd love to talk more about it. I mean, we'll press for time, but uh, it's always great to uh, think about what God has, has done in the book of Joshua leading them from uh, the east side of the Jordan, crossing over, uh, fighting, uh, conquering cities that really they had no weapons of, of any repute to, to do that, but God fought the battle. And That's something else we can always uh, understand is that the battle is the Lord's. It's not us. We are just here participating in his plan, but it's him who is doing all the work for us because he loves us, because he's gracious, and because uh, we have trusted in Christ. All right, so next time, I don't know when that'll be, but the next time we're going to look at, which is my favorite uh, part of of the book of Joshua, chapter 22, civil war in Israel. Who would have thought that that it almost happened. A little little spoiler there, didn't happen, but came close. And it's a great story uh, because Joshua dismisses the men from the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh on the east side. If you remember, they were uh, commanded because Moses granted them the land on the east side that they were going to be the first ones, armed for battle, ready to fight when they cross over the Jordan, and ahead of their brothers and ahead of the Ark of the Covenant. But uh, it's a great, uh, great story in there. I can't wait to, to, uh, to teach that. It's, it's my favorite part. It's very exciting. And there's several lessons we can learn uh, just from that one chapter in how uh, things unfold. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Till the next time, uh, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for who you are. You are the God who loves us. You are full of grace and mercy and truth. And Father, we thank you for your many promises that you have made uh, throughout human history and all the ones you have fulfilled because of your righteous character. Father, there's so many things we can learn from how you deal with your creatures. And Father, we would just pray that we will be uh, aware of and that we will have a zeal to serve you and to love you. And, Father, we pray that you will help us each individually get to know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, because that is your plan and your uh, desire for us is that we would continue to grow and mature in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we just thank you in our, our in, in amazement at all that you do and all that you provide, all that you sustain us with. Father, there are many who are hurting and who are uh, need, in need of comfort, encouragement. Father, we would just pray that we will, as uh, believers in Christ, be ready, be prepared to uh, go alongside and to st- and walk alongside those who are hurting and, and give them the love that you have for them. Father, we would just pray your continued blessing upon our pastor and uh, those who are traveling we just pray that you will bring them back safely to us. Uh, may the Chafer Conference do well, be well attended. May many things learned and, and transmitted to congregations around our country. Father, we, we pray for our country and lift up our nation before you because we are in a period of rejection of all that is godly, of all that is true and good. And so, Father, we pray your, your patience, your, your love, that the Holy Spirit will work within each of us to expand our spheres of influence to share the gospel with those that you provide and bring to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.